John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today, my guest is Michael Vanderbeek. How are you doing today? Good, brother. By the way, it's Van Beek. Everybody says Vanderbeek is a slip. It's a Freudian slip. It's actually just Van Beek. Like, <laughs> oh, my, uh, you know, my bad. That's all right. Um, so uh, let's let's get started. Um, I met you uh, seven, eight, maybe ten years ago in um, California at a progressive fighting system seminar out there. Um, very impressive stuff. Uh, I, I actually I recall um, there was a lot of top instructors there that weekend, um, and I specifically remember after the fact because we all. Uh, all, all of us that were being trained went back to, to the hotel and stuff, and um, everybody was talking about you. <laughs> so you left a pretty good uh, impact well, I, on everybody. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, right? You know, <laughs> kind of at those camps, you know, but those camps were are really fun. Yeah, it was nice meeting you, and uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, I, I've been in that, that, I was in that progressive fighting systems for a long time, and um yeah, and so after a while, there's certain people who have certain bends to certain kind of things. Some people have a bend more towards MMA. Some people have a, a just an attraction to, uh, let's say, a Krav Maga or something. You know, it's, it's kind of where you get in, where you fit in. And, uh, you know, I've been around violence my whole life. Um, my first memory is of domestic violence of my father leaving us when I was just a boy. And he was throwing stuff, screaming at my mom. And then, you know, being raised in... Um, gang-ridden neighborhoods, blah, blah, blah. The same old story. But I, I, I say that to say that I, I really, really uh, took a liking to Vunak, uh, Paul Vunak, who's the founder of Progressive Fighting Systems. His uh, protege, Tom Cruise, became one of my best friends. And uh, so over about 20-something years, you know, I would just immerse myself in that man's mentality. And, and what it was wasn't so much about the technique, but how you moved. I love his, uh, I, I term it the rise of the athlete and, and giving, when he talked about body mechanics and spatial relationship and attributes, that was something that no one had ever talked about before. And so I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I jumped right on it. But um, when I met you, I was um, fresh off the streets um, of a life of, uh, I was a stone cold addict for about 10 years in the middle of being an successful martial arts uh, school owner, lifter, personal trainer, graduate in criminal justice, bodyguard school, blah, blah, blah. I lost my wife, lost my job, old country music kind of story, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I started using it on the weekends. And then within uh, six months, I lost everything with smoking crack full as a full-time job, um, fighting, taking street fights for money, um, collecting money, whatever I had to do to get by. Um and so when you met me was after that. And so there was a lot of folklore and, and, and stories about my street life, you know, because it's, a, it, it, you know, John, it's different when you do martial arts and it's different when you fight. I was a cage fighter at a 10 and two professional cage fighting record in the early nineties. You know, that was Rue's thing. Go out and try every other art, like JKD, you go out and try every art. And, um, so cage fighting was that. And so I had a cage fighter. I thought I could fight. And then I got into the, the life of violence. And, um, you know, that inherently is something way different. I mean, martial arts is something you do with somebody. And uh, violence is something that is done to you. 
And so that's a whole different perspective. And that's what, that's where I think a lot of those stories came from is my actual life experiences. And most martial artists, don't get me wrong, they're great people. They caught a habit when they were a kid. It turned into a passion. They got a certificate. Then they started teaching. And they're all good guys. Don't get me wrong. But they've never been in a boil, bro. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The boil removes impurities. We find out how good you are when I got a gun stuck to your head. You know, when you're begging for your life because you got a kid and you don't want to lose her. Well, you know, it, martial arts doesn't, it, you you have to approach things differently. And so that was, that was the beginning of uh, what I have today and its focus, uh, counter-violence. So it's it's an it's a it's a divorce from martial arts per se. So and that's what we approach it from a point of violence, not from a point of everybody always uses when it comes to martial arts the analogy of a bar fight at two in the morning. Well, I'll be honest with you, I'm a relatively sober dude, you know, and uh, I think most people who have a family, you know, if you're training and you're like yourself and you're disciplined, you're not at the bar at two in the morning and every day. And if you are, you probably deserve to have your ass kicked. So <laughs> kind of like that, right? So if you're, from my perspective, if you're going to be using martial arts, self-protection, in a reality-based format, it's going to be from a carjacking, from a home invasion, um, you know, try someone trying to take your kid, the realities of this world for, 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 for the virtuous citizen. You know what I mean, John? The virtuous citizen. And so that's what we're because we're all mostly good people. Most people are just good people that aren't out double rousing and, and starting fights. And so if you're going to be in a fight and you're over the age of 25, and you know what I mean? And you have some, and, and you, and you have some value in your life that you, um, these that if they were gone, like your kids, your job, your house, your wife, and you have something to fight for, you're just not going to go out for no reason and start swinging blows. If you're going to fight, it's going to be, you're going to have to understand, uh, power curve displacement, threat disparity, all of these things that they never taught you in martial arts, how you technique. So that's one of the things that, that I brought back with me from the streets was that actual experience and understanding. And uh, throwing back into PFS was kind of fun back then. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, I think there's a big disconnect. Uh, this is one of the things, recurring theme um, in the podcast, there's a big disconnect between... Um, martial arts and and what i'm going to call real fighting um and they kind of got it i think when mma kind of became a thing you know and people started doing a lot of arts and stuff but at the end of the day you're still in a cage or in a ring and there's a referee and it's still kind of a game you know i mean it's a rather violent game but it's it's still kind of a game and there are still a lot of people out there mma people especially and jujitsu guys and, and things like that that um that don't understand that, that don't get that, that, uh, they don't fully grasp that concept. And I'm not saying, you know, jujitsu is great in a street fight. It'll definitely help you out. It's, it's better than, than not knowing anything. It's better than the alternative. Right. Um, and, and MMA is a great, great way to train for those situations. And, and if you're a decent MMA fighter, you could, you can handle yourself in a lot of street fights, you know, probably over half. But there's going to be situations that you end up in or certain encounters or certain attacks or certain things, whether it's three on one or a knife is involved or or somebody, you know, knocks a bookcase over on you and holds you down. You know, you can't you can't shrimp out of that sort of situation. You can't. There's a lot of things you can't do that's taught in the in, in the sports setting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we, I don't think that you're saying anything new to like your listeners or to people who are um, 
used to thinking for themselves, mm-hmm. right? We grew up in a martial arts era, at least I did in the 70s and 80s, um, where you didn't question the teacher, right? Right, And if you question the teacher, how dare you? You'll be scraping the floor with a toothbrush, don't you know? You know, a master so-and-so. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's taking kung fu, to, you know, some type of time I shoot kung fu and the other P and so there was only traditional martial arts then and the only thing you had in terms of realisms was kickboxing matches or were the things that uh, Chuck Norris used to do and, and so you know you grew up thinking you were Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris some kids were playing Cowboys and Indians we were playing Chuck Norris against Bruce Lee <laughs> and, and watching and watching ninja movies and you know great and so we grew up in that era and, and, and so for us MMA was a very very healthy healthy place because it allowed people to tear down the parameters of punching air and making speculation you know because if i would ask a teacher back then hey man well, i'm not really hitting i'm punching air so what's to say that he doesn't do oh don't question that so what traditional martial arts has turned into even no um is a one-size-fits-all taught by dryland swimmers right and um and I don't mean disrespect by that. It just is what it is, right? It's a one-size-fits-all. So someone's going to tell you that, okay, I'm going to take, even we'll even use jiu-jitsu, for example. I'm going to take jiu-jitsu or jikundo or krav, and I'm going to do it for four years, let's say. And after four years, i got a brown belt maybe in jiu-jitsu. Maybe I'm an instructor in jikundo and whatever. Um, and after doing that, you've never been in a fight, but they're going to tell you everything that you learned in their system will um, be helpful in whatever situation you get into, and that is not true. Right. Because what determines a person's victimality is their livelihood, how they live their life. I'll tell you as a former criminal, how I would pick victims is by their life's walk, what they did for a living. So if you were a stay-at-home mom, you have a higher chance of home invasion. Yes, of course, because we spend a third of our day at work, a third of our day at home, and we have uh, habits. We're going to the gym. We're going here. And so if you're just a regular person, you live by that schedule. And so your victimality is determined by how you live your life, your age. Do you live on a ranch? Will anybody hear you if you scream? All of these things come into play. And so you can't su- simply suggest or prescribe a one style that's going to fit your demographic in life. So when I used to laugh when people would put those things up in martial arts about, well, um, I'll give you Three moves you'll ever need to know in your life. That's it. And I'm like, how could you know that? You don't even know me. I mean, I could be an amputee or something with one arm. How could you say that? You know, you don't know my build. You don't know anything. And all those are very clinical aspects of how you will fight. You, most violence involves threat disparity. There's an, an asymmetrical matchup. It's not fair. It's not fair. It wouldn't be violence if it was. It would be a fair fight. Right. Violence is not a fair fight. So being that it's asymmetrical, and then you go back and you train in a symmetrical system, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where he's trying to do the very same thing you're trying to do to him, then it becomes kind of a chess game. And so what the, what the UFC did is it said, wait, I can actually try and hit you. And that shocked the world. Yeah. And I can actually try. And, but what you brought up is, yes, there's still rules, though. Those parameters, those rules within a sport like UFC give it an incredible opportunity for refinement, much like in powerlifting, right? If you're powerlifting in a certain weight class, you can do any 
anything you want to make that the best you can. You can try to cut weight so you barely make it and then be the strongest in your weight. You can do all kinds of things to change and modify whether you're lifting raw, whether you're not lifting raw, all those things that you can do to help the parameters based on the rules. Now, if I'm in there at 200 and you, and you step in at 260 and you try to match numbers, it's not going to work. That's why you have a weight class. The same thing is true with everything else, but in violence, there is no parameters. There's no not. There's nothing that says anything about anything except for I want your body, I want your sex, I want your money, I want your life, I want what I want, and I'm gonna take it, right? And if you disagree, oh, yeah. fuck you. You gotta stop <laughs> me. That's on you. Yeah, that's the way it is. I break into your house, I hold you down with a gunpoint while I bring in your wife and daughter and rape them, and then I burn the house down with you guys in. Right. Yeah. These are these. Are, I'm not making these up. These are actual stories, you know. And so when you start talking like that, or I'll give you an example, John. This is one of the stories I use in my seminars. So I want you to think all options you have from jujitsu to Thai boxing to all of these things, right? All of the the martial arts libraries, Adams full, this library full of stuff. And you went in there and you said, "Listen, now let me run a story by you. You're on vacation with your family." I don't care what the makeup is. We're just going to use, you got a wife and a daughter, okay? So you pull into the gas station, you're halfway to Chattanooga, whatever the hell you're going. You pull into a gas station off the E-way. You get out of the car, you're pumping the gas. The wife gets out, she's stretching out. Her and her daughter, they're going to go use the washroom real quick. Honey, do you need anything? Pow! You get hit from the side. You go down. Now the gas pump that you were holding on to is on you. It's leaking gas, and there's this dude steady sitting on top of you, punching. You're trying to cover. You look over up at your wife, and there's a guy chasing your wife and your daughter in the gas station. Freeze. How the fuck do you want to read for that? Right now, that's because that's the kind of violence that we're that we're dealing with here. Because no one's gonna walk up to you and go, "What's up, bro? I heard you talking smack, bro." And then you get into some slugfest, and then someone's gonna. You know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, if you do, it's probably because you're working at a club or something. That's out of working security in your position. My buddy, uh, a friend of mine, Lee Morrison, over in the UK, he's one of the number one, number one combative guys in the world. Uh, his whole thing is based around that kind of doorman frame. I have this fence up in front of me with her, my, which are my two hands, and I'm having this discussion. Um, violence in the U.S. doesn't look like that in so much as it does somebody walking up and punching you when you can barely see it. Right. And so... That's where I set out to, to, to reframe what self-protection meant. It wasn't just two guys duking it out in a parking lot and then buying each other drinks afterwards. No, it's, man, if this guy gets past me, he's going to rape and kill my wife. That's what violence looks like. And so that's, that's the kind of approach we wanted to come to. Like you said, and even MMA, a little, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Right. You know, when it comes to strength training or whatever, people, you give the best advice and you say, well, Mike, I don't have a gym or I don't, okay, well, do what you can around the house. Right. You know, you see videos all the time of guys throwing wheelbarrows over their shoulder or something, anything they can do to get, to get weights. But um, a little bit of something is better than nothing. But I think it's important for people when you're dealing in, uh, in, in personal protection, right? I'm going to protect me. I'm going to protect my family. And isn't that, I mean, let's be honest, isn't that what martial arts was supposed to do before? It was a sport because it was a way to train it. We turned it into a sport so we could excel at the training properties of martial arts, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling. And if you look at MMA, it's nothing more than a combination of all the Olympic sports of that type, a judo, a greco, or kickboxing, right? Jiu-jitsu, it's a combination of all of them. And so um, uh, it's a very good place to start, but I think if you're over the 25 and not making to looking to make a run at a 
UFC heavyweight title, I would suggest strongly that you look into more reality-based self-defense. And, you know, and so there's a lot of styles or arts that consider themselves. That's, you know, a whole nother world. Yeah. I think, I think a good example for, um, MMA or, or any sport martial art, um, MMA probably being the best, uh, is if you were on a basketball team, right. And, and you wanted to train for basketball, how good of a basketball player would you be if you only played and drilled for one-on-one basketball? Because the actual sport of basketball is a team event, right? How good would you be if you trained for one-on-one basketball? In the street, a lot of times you're going to be fighting more than one person. An MMA guy, a jiu-jitsu guy, they only ever train for one person. So it's a completely different game, right? One-on-one basketball is completely different than what you would find in the NBA or college or high school or whatever. Then if you change the implement or the court, right? Let's say you play basketball on a basketball court. How much different would it be in a swimming pool? You know what I mean? So it's it's really MMA is a sport and it can kind of prepare you for a street fight. But at the end of the day, that's not what it is. Well, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Now, as a cage fighter, I was faced with some things. So I, I was faced with the fact that I couldn't headbutt. There were certain elbows in Illinois during the 90s that we weren't allowed to throw. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot more rules back then than there are now. But one of the things that I looked at MMA is having probably the most benefit to me because as a, as a regional Jeet Kune Do guy by trade, Bruce Lee would always say, take what's useful, right. reject what's not. And so you take tips from people and you, you, and, and you use what's, it's America. You take it, you make it your own, and you make it better, right? That's what we do. That's right. what we do. So um, I looked at, MMA, and I don't mean the USC, I mean MMA as a whole. So if I say to myself, when I did it, we, they were five-minute rounds. I had three five-minute rounds in my fights. And then they changed here and there. But if you had to go five minutes full on, full on, five minutes, could you do it? And so Vu, Vunak used to say back in the day that people would lose fights for two primary reasons, one of which they were unfamiliar with the range that they were fighting in, uh, and which I don't it's not relevant today, but one of the other ones is, and that's wind. And if you don't have the wind to contend with someone who's twice your size, and then there's two of them, like you said, <laughs> in uneven terrain, and they got the jump on me because they knew they were going to hit me before I did. Holy shit, man. You better have some endurance. You better have some conditioning. So I say that to say that MMA's parameters are skewed because you are only used to one gear, right. one framework of fighting. And, and you're going to hug this guy and thank him and all that other stuff and afterwards and his camaraderie and so forth, right? That is different from someone who wants to fucking kill you. Right. Your whole mindset changes. I know. When you're in the ring, listen, I've been there. Your guy's rubbing your shoulders and he's like, you're going to kill this guy. You're going to fucking kill him. Mike. And you're, you start to go, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm going to kill you. And you start to, you know, that's the whole point of your corner is to get you psyched up and get right. you going. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a huge, it's much like jumping out of a plane parachuting. There's this huge anxiety, and then that you ding ding ding, then you just go, you just jump. So there's a there's a serious serious cool thing about being in the cage because it's the closest you're gonna get to a fight in terms of this guy's gonna try and hit you. Right. Or an MMA, and in training, no one's really trying to hurt you. They may be trying to hit you, but they're not trying to hurt you. Right. Here, you need that element. That right. element is healthy. So in 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 MMA fighting, 
the fact that that sparring is at its highest level and then for, again, for your safety. So you're going to go as close as you can to the fight without getting hurt because of those parameters. And because of that, you're going to develop the wind. So I would suggest changing the parameters of MMA or changing the conditioning of reality-based martial arts. Most reality-based martial arts people I know, and respectfully, um, they look at their art as a way that they can be lazy and not be athletes. Yes. Right. Yes. So they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. do these, these moves to you, and I don't, I can sit around and do, do shots of whiskey all day and, and drink like a fat slob, and I don't have to do anything, um, uh, because you know, because I have this combative mindset and uh, or whatever that is. And so there are, there, listen, there, and I'm not suggesting that you have to be an alpha to be able to fight. No, absolutely not true. But if you're going to, like we said, take the benefit of MMA, take the, and if you're a performance, if you're a high performance kind of physical person and you're doing strength training, you're doing cardio and you're maybe have touched some CrossFit a little bit and you want to defend yourself, then the goal is to become an athlete at reality-based street fighting. Right. <laughs> That's the goal. Well, you know, you, you take someone who can street fight and then make them an athlete at it and figure out a way to drill those reality-based uh, skills, um, series combinations in a manner that's conducive for high levels of conditioning and stamina, then you've got a different monster all together, man. I think, I think one of the downsides to martial arts, one of the things that's held it back um, as a whole is in the beginning, and even today, you know, this one of the selling points to martial arts is you, you can be unathletic or you can be small and you can be weak. And if you know this art and you, you're a black belt in this, then you could still beat somebody a little bit more athletic or a little bit bigger than you. But what they failed to realize is that's still not ideal, right? Like it's still not ideal to be small and weak. It's not ideal to be unathletic. Like why not improve that too? Instead, instead of having this one giant gaping weakness um, in, in your in your whole system um, and, and you see that everywhere if you go to you can go to any martial arts school and it's not like any other sport in the world um, I, I've been to a lot of martial arts gyms and you can go in and the people look like they've never touched a barbell or they've never ran a sprint or they've never done any of this stuff I mean this is pretty common across the board um, you can go to a a, a tennis gym and see people that are in a hundred times better shape than someone that wants to get in a street fight. And that blows my mind, you know? Yeah. I think that it, it, I have a lot of families and I have, I being doing what I do and we have locations throughout the country, this counter violence movement's kind of growing because, um, we do address those very facts. We do address the fact, listen, and I, and, and a lot of my business is for those people who say, listen, I, 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 I enter data into a computer all day. I wear Dockers. I'm not Alpha 1 athlete. I'm just, can you help me say, yes, absolutely I can. In 10 hours, I'll put you through a program and you can redo it. Now, do you want to be good at it? Do you want to just not know it, but be good at it? You know, I mean, if you, if you do anything, if you learn another language, you still got to train it. You still got to talk the language. You just don't, you don't take Spanish for, uh, you take Spanish and don't speak it for 10 years and then expect to pick it up. It's not going to happen. Right. And so even if you come in and you take a life-saving program from Focus or something like that, 
a three-hour course or 10-hour course or whatever, the more you do it, the more you become an athlete at what those things are. And it may not be in an athlete the way you're used to thinking, like big, strong, tall, you know, bigger, faster, stronger kind of person, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, martial arts, uh, good training in 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 counterviolence. Everybody wants to thinks that speed and strength are good training, and I would suggest that speed and strength are the result of good training. They're not the priority of it. Placement, power, body mechanics, timing. You know, timing isn't a matter of how fast, it's a matter of how when, you know? And that's where you can be not an athlete and still get in. But again, to your point, you can't just sit back and smoke two packs of Camel a day because you rented a a combatives video that you're going to go out and be on the news for saving some damsel in distress. And that's every couch potato's dream, right? I'm going to step off the door, off this couch, and just be hailed as a hero as I intervene in some devious plan to take over the world, and I spoiled it. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think, um, again, I think a lot of that mentality comes back to, well, number one, it's being sold as, hey, you can be weak and beat up a stronger person. Um, and I think anybody would agree, too, that there's a certain... Um, there's a certain point where if, if you're 120 pounds and Brock Lesnar kicks in your door, <laughs> you're going to have to be pretty damn good at martial arts to, to deal with, with a Brock Lesnar, uh, you know, unless anything short of a gun, um, you know, so there's a certain gap there. I think people should at least try to close that gap a little bit, um, you know, b- between Brock Lesnar and a 120 pound person. Um, well, yeah, go, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, let's walk through that, man. What does that look like? So you just said Brock Lesnar kicks down my door. I'm 120 pounds. So I'm away and my wife's at home. She's got the 14-year-old at home or whatever age your kid has to be. Okay? But and I say 14 because she's just old enough to be raped by some idiot. Right. Right? That walks through the door. So you got your wife and your daughter vulnerable behind the door. Okay? What would, how would you have her train? That's a very, it's a very very real, honest, important question. Now, if you were a martial artist, you would say, oh, I'd have her do an eye jab. Oh, I'd have her do a groin kick, huh? You know what I'm saying? If you were a counterbalance person, you'd say, I drive this barrel of my gun as far down his eye socket as I could right before I pulled the trigger. Right. Right? Or something that had some teeth to it. Right? It's only your life you're talking about. You have to have an emotional content. Right. Bruce Lee used to say it, but everybody missed I think they misplaced that as meaning, um, you know, it means some, it, it does mean intensity, but it means at the same time, you you mean to tell me that you're going to come in here and ruin my entire life just so you can rape my wife and all, you piece of shit, I'm going to fucking kill you. And if you don't have that mental appropriation to switch that on, it's going to be, and so, you know, we train that in our thing, the ability to sharpen your teeth, mm-hmm. to show your teeth. The ability and willingness to fight and do whatever it takes has to be prevalent. And so I don't care what art you're studying. If you don't have that mindset that I'm going to crush you, then you're going to freeze up. Mm-hmm. And you're going to fall follow and fall, fall, fall farther and farther behind on the power curve. But I think when walking through that, what you come up to, uh, John is saying, listen, yes, is there a way to outbeat strength? Yes. Yes, I train with some of the strongest people that's ever set foot on this planet. And I wrestle with them on a daily basis. And I'll tell you, there is. 
here's the way to do it. Train with big, strong people trying to hurt you. That's it, right? Because the idea is to apply what you're learning against bigger, stronger, taller, faster. Mm -hmm. You have to, because violence says, if you're going to be a victim, the power curve displacement says, simply as your role as the victim, they knew that they were going to hit you before you did. Um, there's more of them because they didn't think that they were, you know what I mean? It's all the, it's so asymmetrical, right? And then you have to deal with what we call victim orientation. I can't believe this is happening to me right now. He just kicked down my door and this guy's choking the life out of me, right? I can't, I, accepting what's happening in the now and being able to fight through all that. There's a lot of emotion but let's get to that in a second. I really want to talk about, because you see this a lot. This is what I consider to be the biggest flaw in fight training as a whole. I see it across the board. And it's not what people are doing, John. It's what they're doing it against. So I'll give you an example. I watched a video yesterday as I was combing through some video, and I seen some old one, JKD video. Who's in it isn't, isn't important. But the person, and they're doing all this cool, flashy stuff. Boom, and they're skipping around. They're doing the old G-Tech and all the fancy Bruce Lee stuff. But it's not what they're doing that impresses me. Under what stress level are they doing it? And the guy who's, who's they're doing it against is doing what they call feeding him a jab. Feeding him a jab cross. You already know what's coming. That is completely not how victimization works. And martial arts was made for the underdog. And yet, when you train it, you took the higher stand. You took the higher ground and said, okay, you're going to feed me a jab, maybe a jab cross. And I know that. And I'm going to wait till you do. And when you do, I'm going to come under, hit you in the groin. I'm going to thigh kick you. I'm going to parry back. And maybe I'll intercept. And so it looks really cool when you tell everybody that you're doing it real and you're really not because right. you know exactly. And that person is not feeding you violence. He's feeding you a jab. Right. Well, I think, and so when you watch, go ahead. Well, I think um, that's one of the things that uh, back to Bruce Lee, he actually was really good at. A lot of people missed the boat though. Um, you know, it's probably okay to start with something like that. Right. Say, Hey, I'm going to, you just to get you acclimated to it. But drills have to have a certain advancement, right? At some point, they shouldn't be just feeding that to you. There should be an advanced version of this, and you should be. But you'll see, there seems to be a wall a lot of the time in these martial arts gyms where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to feed you the gym, and we're going to do that. I'm going to feed you the jab in the drill, and we're just going to do that for the next 20 years. <laughs> and that's you're exactly right. And that's the way it stays. And I don't see anybody progressing out of it. There's so awestruck over themselves and look what's in the basket of my techniques and how I can do them. But if you really had ever been into a fight, you would find that violence doesn't throw jabs. Listen, I was on the street and I was pairing a jab that never came. I was, I was so jikundoed and, and just hardwired in a mid range that every, every fight starts with a jab because that's all I had done for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that, that's a large part of my responsibility. I should have realized that. You know, especially even as a cage fighter. But even as a cage fighter, that jab sets the tone. So there's that little shuffle kick, you know. You, you, so in a sophisticated fight anyway, you get out there, you size each other up, and the jab and the lead leg work the same, and the shoot work the same way a jab works for a boxer. It establishes range and distance. And and so um, in the street, there's no such thing. I'm going to come up in, 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 the, in, the, in the street. They don't throw a jab and then sit and wait. And so while on one hand, learning the jab may be beneficial for you, but the best beneficial thing, uh, learning the jab is a defensive tool. 
is not a bad thing, of course. Um, but what you learn to do it off of, because listen, violence doesn't block. Violence isn't going to pull you in its guard. Violence isn't going to feed you a jab. Violence is not going to do any of the things that martial arts says it's going to do. Because most people have only been in a fight within their art. And so when you get out in the street, and so I'm going to just say, I'm going to pay two dudes a thousand bucks a piece to beat your ass. Defend that. These dudes are in it. But you get the money when it's done, you know, kind of thing. That's the old street rules. What would you do if you got to prepare for that? You got to look over your shoulder all the time. They ain't going to do it nice. They're going to sneak up on you. One's going to use a distraction. The other's going to hit you from the side. And all your martial arts are just going to go out the window because you've been defending a channel. Now, that brings me to my next point. Violence, when it throws, and this is important because you have to know your enemy. And if you're doing self-defense, your enemy is violence. It's the intrusiveness. And so you have to get into violence. I spent years after coming off the streets and getting out of jail um, and, and being sober, most importantly, learning um, what drove violence. Violence is driven by three main characteristics. And I don't care if it's a knife gun, doesn't matter. It's driven by either um, personal gain through criminal means. So that's the first one. And we all, from that's what we all train for. Bad guy and good guy, right? And then there's the second one, which is emotional or psychological displacement. We see this in road rage, workplace violence, domestic violence. So if I slammed into your new car, John, you get out of the car and go, what the fuck, bro? You know? And I was like, no, fuck you, man. You got my way. And it could turn. But so I'm not myself. And maybe before that, I lost my job. And then maybe this morning, right, my wife didn't want to love on me. So whatever brought you to that point, that accident is what tipped the scale. I'm emotionally displaced. I don't want to kill you. I'm an ordinarily a decent guy. Or the guy who, who finds out his old lady's cheating on him and then sees the dude in the restaurant or catches them. He's not going to give this guy a high five and smack him on the ass. No, he's going to want to put a knife down his through his face, right? right? Okay, so this guy's a little bit psychologically displaced. He just seen what he doesn't want to see. His worst fears come true. Someone else is sleeping with his wife. And so this is what the court would call like a second-degree murder or something. You were, you were under the rage or temporary insanity. Right? The third style or driver of violence is lack of social structure or accountability. So in other words, if you're in the hood, man, this is how we solve problems. This is how we problem solve. I, and if I win, I'm right. We're going to throw hands. We ain't talking it out. We're going to swing it out. And if you beat me, I'll shoot you tonight. And it's just violence via that. Conditioning yeah. of problem solving. So we normally are used to the first two. Unless you make a wrong turn off the E-way, then you better prepare for the third one. So that says that if, if it's if that's what drives violence the characteristics are the guy who's emotionally or psychologically displaced sees himself as the victim and doesn't care if the police come dude you've been sleeping with my wife fuck you i'm 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 starching you right now right it's on you don't care if the cops are coming however criminal gain through personal means that guy don't want to get locked up again he ain't going to jail so he's got to do his crime fast and complete or he's got to make sure so you understand what i'm saying right. it determines how they fight how they come after you and when you know this you figure out that nobody jabs nobody blocks nobody who's pissed off at you and thinks that you've been sleeping with their wife is going to jab you move around and see what you do no they're going to come with a rear hand and they're going to try to cash it in like it was a hundred dollar bill on your face then they're going to come with a front hand then another rear hand so rear hand front hand rear hand probably in a crossroad cross then a tackle 
that is probably the closest thing that you could get, minus the weapon part, when it comes to hands, feet, and tap, cross, hook, cross, as I'm moving forward, as, as I'm cussing you out, you know, you motherfucker, and as I'm coming, now, when you feed that in a general martial arts drill, people usually go, bro, bro, what's the problem? Take it easy, relax. But that's the best thing you could do for your student. Now, I'm not saying do it fast and hard. I'm saying do it slow, but act it out, overdo it, right? And so you have to let your students, your practitioners of your training, you have to stand in front of somebody who, while they're not trying to hurt you while training, they are trying to hit you. They are, and they're going slow, and they're replicating the environment, the emotional uh, uh, weight that's happening in violence. And so if you're training against that, you're training against bigger people who aren't just feeding you a jab, who are really trying to, and you don't know if they're going to kick, punch, or tackle you, or maybe another guy, that's good training. Now, can you do that without a training into some fight club? Absolutely. Absolutely. You just got to keep, you got to have coaching well, right? Right. I think that brings up a good point, too, about the way that um, a lot of martial artists, boxers, whatever, train. Um you know, in, in the gym, a lot of the time you can go and you can watch sparring sessions and they're playing a game, you know, it's, it's like violent patty cake, right? And the, a street fighter isn't necessarily going to do that. It's like you said, where are they at mentally and emotionally? What is their, what is their goal? And um, especially if they're, if they're mad enough, they have no concept of gassing out. You know, they're, they're not, they're not there enough to think. Well, can I sustain this for five minutes? They don't care. So they're going to come at you 100%. And if you haven't trained for that, then it's, it's going to be real eye-opening. And the, the average martial artist says otherwise. Oh, they'll gas out, you know. And that might, that might be fine in the ring or the cage because what's the worst that could happen to you? But I don't want to have somebody come in my, my house or jump me at the gas station like you said in my plan B. Well, I'll wait this out and see if I can get him in five minutes. <laughs> It seems like a bad I idea. Mom saying, Helens, I'm gonna outgas this guy. Wait and see. Don't worry, <laughs> honey. I'm coming. I'll be there in a minute. The the other thing that um, <laughs> went, as soon as he as soon as he blows his nut, uh, loses his wind. The, I'm gonna the, go ahead and rescue the, you. The other thing yeah, that that's I, a really good point that I've kind of noticed is that that a lot of martial artists take for granted, and and you kind of brought it up with your um, trying to block the jab that wasn't there scenario, right? Um, have you ever played poker? Do you ever play against somebody that doesn't know how to play and they beat you? <laughs> sure. And, and, and they beat you because you go, well, that didn't make any sense. Like, why the hell would you do that? Right? Well, that can happen in a fight. If you train for a certain way and you think, well, he's supposed to feed me with the jab, but he throws some crazy thing and you go, well, well, fuck, I, I, nobody does that. <laughs> but it didn't matter yeah, if well, nobody does it because you already that's, got that's hit. Like what- when people ask me, well, Mike, what if, what if this guy puts you in the guard? I said, listen, bro, I'm going to be honest with you. I have been in a lot. And listen, I started training with the Gracies in the early 90s and introduced to, to the Hoist and them through Paul, you know, and through their recommendation. And super nice guys. But don't give me any. So I've been doing that for a long time. But I say that to say that I've also been in a lot of fights, man, and for a long time. And violent altercations. And I'm going to sit here and tell you, nobody ever has tried to pull me in their guard in a street fight, ever, <laughs> ever, right? Nobody has done this Wing Chun Chi Sao. This doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't even transfer over to real. I'm not saying it's not cool or it doesn't have some abstract 
uh, application somewhere that's kind of cool in your own personal thing. But in terms of stopping a dude who outweighs you and can kick and punch and is a bad mother effort, and he's coming and he thinks you've been banging his wife while he's locked up, none of that. He's not going to pull you into his guard, man. And so, like you said, when people play outside of the parameters, it really, it really. Uh, here's a good example. I was doing a seminar last month, and uh, it was on a, a topic I call concrete jits, right? Which is like what you're saying. I'm telling, I, I tell people, what we're going to do is done for street fighting, but it doesn't look anything like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but there's some aspects that fall into it that are similar. So this guy was standing above me, and I fall on my back like I had tripped over a curb. So we're running scenario training. And his first question was, well, well, what should I do? Do you want me to be in your guards? Do you want me to wrestle you? Do you want me? And I said, that's what I'm trying to say. If you have to ask, then you don't know violence. You should start, start trying to kick me in my head is what you should do. Stomp on it. Use it as cocaine. Try to get around in my head. And then right when you, right when I successfully tie you up with my legs, somebody else should come over and try to stomp my head. Because that's the highest probability in doing jiu-jitsu in the street is someone trying to kick you in the head. Right. If you went to the ground, it was because you tripped or fell over something. Because you don't want to be on the ground in, in a street fight. What's, I mean... Very, the only way, the only reason that the probability is high that you would do that is because, because of the terrain. Like I'm in Chicago and there's ice everywhere right now, right? Your footwork is now almost null and zero. So you got to clinch up, tie up, maybe pull them to the ground, bite off, and you know what I mean. So there, there are avenues where that is the best probable outcome because of the terrain or environment. But in terms of training as a whole, I think you hit it right on the head when you use the poker analogy. The guy's never played before, but he beat you because you were so used to a very narrow bandwidth of options. You know, the guy attacking you, if the guy attacking you was only feeding you a jab and only doing so with a mindset, this guy's just going to feed me a jab, then you're not getting the emotional content of the person who's trying to hurt you. You're not getting the force, what I call force resistance. He's very forceful at what he wants. He's not going to sit there and let you do all this stuff to him. He's resistant to that. You know, and um, it's like the energy drills. You remember those energy drills, right, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, energy drills, like kind of like patty cake drills, you know. They're there for a purpose, but most people get stuck in the means that they forgot what the end was for. Right. You know, so doing this high-five whoo-bud thing, and next thing you know, that's, that's not, that's not, they're, that's not teaching you resistance. That's teaching you how to transition from one thing to another with a compliant person. Compliant being the, the, the thing that really separates what we do from what we used to do in martial arts is compliancy. You have to be dealing with a non-compliant person all the time. And that's, you know, that's like police work or any other training. If you're dealing with a compliant person who's going to throw this punch and let you sit there and do all this stuff, but who's not going to respond in a way, you know, um, like trapping. Trapping doesn't happen because nobody blocks. So you're not going to get that trap. And then I've seen it. I've seen it where guys went to, I mean, we're sitting there in front of a garage, full, in Brunei's garage full of a bunch of people, and someone traps this guy, but the guy doesn't block, so he's stuck there. He doesn't know what to do. He wasn't even really trying to hit him. He was only trying to hit his hand so he could finish the trap and look cool for Sifu, right? Or whatever right. the leader is called. And so, you know, well, Paul, he didn't do it right. But he didn't do it right. He didn't block. Why would someone block if you gave them no reason? He's trying to hurt you. Why would he block? Right. It's this simple logic that has kind of evaded martial arts. Here's another thing. 
that, that we spend a lot of time doing. And I picked this, uh, a lot of the stuff up from guys like uh, Dynamis Alliance, Don Rosso, NRA guy, X Beetle, we do some training with, um, Lee Morrison, you know, and some other really, really in tune people from street fighting. And then the fight really starts way before the punch is thrown. Okay? So I created an equation that says PV, which is pre-violence. And then in parentheses is a plus and a minus. And then PV again. So the pre-violence and the post-violence. And then in the middle is the, is the physical part. So you can describe that as soft skills or hard skills. So everybody in martial arts spends all their time working hard skills and has no concept of soft skills or software application. And that is predatory recognition, understanding threat disparity, knowing the, the, the power curve, how it works, and understanding how violence is going to feed you, how to create violence of action, the ingredients of violence of action, and all of those types of things. Your number one priority should be to hurt somebody, right? And, and violence of action is how you do it. And there's an ingredient to violence of action, range of appropriation, mechanical efficiency, and mental appropriation. I think that brings up a good point too. Is the uh, the goal is to hurt somebody, right? And there's this um, <clears throat> there's this idea uh, in martial arts that you know you hear like soft style stuff, like I'm trying to be make them compliant without hurting them, and, and that stuff, you know, th that can work in some situations. But I think at least knowing how to hurt somebody, and at least periodically training uh, with the mentality of truly trying to hurt somebody, is pretty invaluable. And um, anything else is a waste of time. Yeah, in my and, opinion, and it's, it's a waste. Like, of time. Well, Mike, I'm just doing this, bro, to look hand-eye coordination, bro. Well, then learn how to juggle. That's great for hand-eye coordination. Well, I think, I think one of the things that's overlooked, like you said, you know, you're doing hand-eye coordination drills, or or you're trying to do um, energy drills like Hubud or Chi Sao or whatever. And there's there is a place for that stuff, of course, but I think you have to know the goal first and you have to train the goal first and you have to know how to fight first. I think people do it backwards. They train energy drills for somebody that doesn't know how to fight. And it's really not doing anything except for allowing the instructor to be really damn lazy. But if, if you took a guy like you or a guy out of the UFC or something like that, and you show them an energy drill, they may get some benefit out of it, but taking somebody out of a grocery store and saying, Hey, let me show you how to do Chisau real quick. There's not much application for that person. And it's just like you said, with the trapping and the blocking, right? The guy didn't block. Well, I would, I wasn't there, but I'm willing to bet that the person was kind of anticipating the block or waiting for the block when really they should have made the block happen by punching them in the face a whole bunch of times. <laughs> and, yeah. And even then blinds violence won't block. It may cover. If yeah. it stops from the second from swinging at you. But the person didn't block because he was never told to block. This is the problem with martial arts. Right. When you fight person who, when you fight, if you're a JKD guy, a Jeet Kune Do person, and you fight someone who's not a JKD person, you won't be able to trap them because they're not going to block unless you tell them to block. They're right. going to cover or they're going to swing at you. It's you, they, When you hit somebody, they have a choice. They can get hit, they can cover, or they can hit you. Or avoid it, right? Right. So, I mean, there's a simple amount of options. And, and, and so are yours, too, the same options. But, um, yeah, absolutely. When you're doing those energy drills and those things, there are a place for them. But like you said, people spend a lot of time doing arts martial, not martial arts. It's the fight that comes first. It's the art 
that's made out of the consistency. You're an artist when you do something over and over and over and over again. But if somebody walks into your classroom for the first time and instead of them teaching, you should just teach people how to throw hands, feet, and tackle somebody because that's what's going to be done to you. Right. And so if you want to stop that from being done to you, be good at it yourself. That's the first thing. So if you have someone who walks into your school or if I see someone who goes into some JKD school and they're teaching them who bud or a pox sour lapso on the first day, uh, I want to punch myself just for watching that. That's right. insane. That's terrible. That's the complete opposite of what you want to teach somebody. It has nothing to do with fighting. Those things happen as a result of somebody fighting well. Then someone puts up a barrier to cover themselves, and then you'd get a trap. It's not how you would fight. That's right. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, if, if you want somebody to cover up or block, the best way to do that is to hit them a bunch. And, and, and hopefully, in an ideal situation it never got that far, right? Like you hit them a bunch and that was it. And you didn't have to do, <laughs> you didn't have to do well, the trapping goes, or that goes back to my equation and that plus and a minus and in parentheses, because you have to always look at the op. It, Bruce Lee's thing was, I intercept you. And for me to intercept you, I need space because on your preparation to hit me is when I intercept you. Most of your, if you are, if you are a good JKD guy, you have already probably realized that your interception happens on the second or third hit. You never get a chance to intercept the first. Why? Because you're a victim of violence. You didn't walk up and slap your hand and say, hey, you ready, bro? Let's go. Right. I don't know, man. I saw you hit that ATN. I'm jacking you from behind. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to hit you two and three more times. Intercept those. That's your best shot. That's your best shot. And so, um, yeah, yeah, the intention of hitting somebody, like you said, and then comparing it back to, well, why doesn't that work in martial arts? Because we're always starting from this e e reference point of equality. Sit on the guy's face, sit on his chest, and then start punching him in his face, then say go. You know, yeah. get hit once or twice, then say go. This is then this is a bit more reflective of if you're going to get in it to win it and play this game of self-protection and invest a couple years doing it, like you said, and you're going to do something beyond the minimum, then that's kind of how you want to train. I think too the there's it's it's like you said with positioning and, and uh, you know guys sitting on your chest and then you start the fight right um, you actually see that in MMA um, you'll see people start in the mount and they'll say hey I'm gonna try to get out of the mount sometimes and you'll see that a lot from a position of on the wall or in the cage or on the ground but you're probably one of the only people I've ever heard talk about doing it with striking right. Like, hey, we're going to start to fight, and the guy's behind you. I'm going to say go, and you have to turn around and deal with this, right? Or he's from yeah, the so side. Or... Where I'm from, you know you've been in a fight because you just got hit. Right. <laughs> it, That's how you know. But you don't, you you just don't got see hit. people stealing those drill ideas for stand-up. It's like, for some reason, stand-up has their own set of drills, and grappling has its own set of drills. I mean, you, you could easily cross-pollinate these things, and... Uh, that's that's a brilliant idea like you said earlier like you st you feign stumbling over the thing over a curb right and you're falling and then they say go and how do you deal with that i don't see anybody else uh, i'm trying to think i don't think anybody else ever explaining to me that sort of to training that way or, or anything and it's really a shame because that's that's like the number one go-to for for jujitsu right it's like hey we're going to we're going to work off somebody's on your back. How do you deal with it? And that could be a whole class, but you never see that in a Thai class or a kickboxing class or a Krav Maga class. 
even in those Krav Maga classes or any of these other, uh, you know, reality-based uh, martial arts, they still kind of square up like it's the boxing match. It doesn't make much sense. Yeah, that's the asymmetrical nature of violence. You know, I've been hit more times than I care to say from behind. And uh, one of the one of the stories that I remember being the most uh, brutal to me is that I, I wound up moving about 20 feet before I regained consciousness. So I had a flash out, right? I'm flat, I'm out, but I'm on my, I got hit from the side. He pulled me by my own hand and pulled me into the punch. And I was trying to protect one of my, I was running a club in Chicago, trying to protect one of my guys who just got shoved into a table of glasses and his buddy pulled me and knocked me so hard, bro. I was out on my feet for about 15 feet. I came to and I'm still trying my radio and my headgear and all that stuff is hang dangling from me. And his, and they're screaming at me. His boy's throwing a bottle at me. And it was like, whoo. And it's like waking up to that. Mm-hmm. Right? Because when you get knocked out, you lose a piece of time. You just wake up and someone's throwing a bottle at you. Yeah. You just got hit. And this is what we talk about, victim orientation. So there's some videos on this stuff on my YouTube channel. You can look at Focus, uh, Jeet Kune Do, uh, or Mike Van Beek, you'll find it. In victim orientation, we talk about the process of where the mind and the emotion and the psychology of accepting what's happening now. And the reason we do that is because it is the nature of our enemy to hit us when we can't see it. Take an asymmetrical flank to gain superior position over us as victim. You cannot assume, everybody's problem is they always assume that the most violent guy is a drunk guy at 2 in the morning at some bar. They don't assume, man, I'm not talking about that guy. That guy would probably buy another beer and maybe drop him off on someone's porch. or so, You know what I mean? I'd probably help that guy. I feel bad for him. You know? Um, I, I wouldn't, it's not my arena to, to it's not my place where I want to look tough. I don't care about looking tough. I'm, I care about the lives of myself and the ones that I love. Right? And and so um, that means you have to train for two places in a fight. The positive and the negative. The positive means that my active awareness was so good that I saw this coming. I saw a hostile person in my environment. I saw this traffic jam happening. I got out and was, hey, I'm sorry, bro, or whatever. And you see him in front of you. That's because your intellectual, your street smarts, your active awareness, your pre-violence, your pre-threat cues, your predatory recognition, your understanding of violence, right, is good, right? The same thing is true in traffic. I check my rear view mirrors and the side mirrors, not because I'm a paranoid driver, Right. My pre-violence, my pre-threat, my being in tune, my active awareness is high, not because I'm a paranoid individual, but because I plan to stay safe. The better I am at that, the better chance I have of catching it on the positive. However, the vast majority of people spend a lot of money to move to areas where they feel they don't have to be on their pregame. They just have to, you know, they're on their cell phone. And don't you know, I live in this town and we have no crime. No shit. Crime doesn't do crime in bad neighborhoods. Crime goes to other neighborhoods to do crime. I'm not going to, I'm from Chicago Heights, Illinois, and if anybody knows anything about Chicago Heights, it's not the greatest south side of Chicago. I mean, we're on the news for having the worst crime in, in, the, in the country. And so um, I'm not going to go to those neighborhoods I use drugs in to try to get money to score drugs. I'm going to the white suburban happy neighborhoods, and I'm going to get money there. And so you can't, you can't just assume um, that because you live, you spend an extra $30,000 to live in a nice neighborhood or because I bench a certain amount or because there's no, there's no precondition that's going to make you uh, uh, vaccinated from the, 
throes of violence, man. You know what I mean? It's going to even be worse um, in some cases. So the negative, being hit first, being grabbed first, being tackled first. This is where about 85% of our population lives. And with this fog, I'll see it coming. You won't see it coming, man. You got to train from the negative. Train from the negative. So the dude opens up your door and takes a swing at you. Now go. He kicks the door down. Now go. He punches you in the face. Now go. You're on your back. Now go. And then flow that into a training pattern. And do it with a person who's screaming at you. You know, when you go on a, when you serve a warrant as a police officer, you normally go at what time? Four in the morning, baby. <laughs> Everybody just finished partying. They finished the, 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 the drinking and now they're in bed or whatever. You go at four in the morning, you kick the door open and you throw it, uh, 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 one of those compact grenades where they just bam and they make that loud noise, right? Why do you do that? You do that so everybody's disorientated. They do this like, holy shit, what's happening? Yes. Violence is going to do the same to you. Um, and, and so if you can train that way um, in, a, in a responsible way, so you're not just beating the living hell out of each other, but you're using those variables as um, a compass to guide you to better training. I think that's training from the positive and the negative. And then finally, the post fight. So you knock this dude out. Now what? Is he carrying a weapon? If he comes to, will he use it? Is there another person coming? Is there an exit close by? Do you have a weapon? Do you follow through? All of these things. Your heart's racing a million miles an hour. Do I call the police? Do I call my wife to let her know I'm okay? I don't know what the fuck I should do. So how many martial arts people go, okay, you just knocked him. Find the exit. Get outside. Get on the phone. <laughs> Feel your heart wanting to pound out of your chest. I got into a fight once on the south side of Chicago. I guess a couple guys, by the time I got back in my truck, man, and God, I was driving 110 miles an hour and had no idea. And my heart was racing and I'm trying to find the number on the phone, right? And I don't care how many times you do it, it's still the same, you know? And uh, so the end of the fight, too, you have to include in reality-based martial arts, you have to include that end. Mm-hmm. That's a, you could have some PTSD from that. You may wake up if you're an average person and not like you or I, John, we're sick with this kind of stuff, right? Whether it's lifting, whether it's training, we're sick with making ourselves better versions of ourselves on a daily consistent basis. We are chasing excellence. But if you're just an average person who did come in and they want to train, they got some life-saving skills after you start this dude or do whatever, you're going to feel some stuff, man. So just as the pre-stuff is necessary, so is the post-stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that is like doing a good play. Instead of just dress rehearsal, you, you learn the lines, then you do the dress rehearsal, then you add the props, and then you do the front, the beginning, the end, you tie it together. And then hopefully you can have some fun doing it too. Because by reminding people, by teaching people to save their lives, I think people remind them why it's worth living. And they hug their wife a little bit better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You go and you spend some time with your kids because you know, you know, I get off tomorrow. I don't care how much I train. I could get smoked tomorrow. And, I'm, you know, yeah. I think um, maybe maybe a, a good point to, to throw in here is um, the way you're talking about training for a real fight. You know, you're going to get hit from the side or maybe you're sitting down and somebody attacks you or whatever. Let, let's say we're wrong. That doesn't happen, okay? We're going to pretend that doesn't happen. That That's just not how it works, right? We're totally wrong. Where are you from? <laughs> right, <laughs> that that right. would be my question. But theoretically, <laughs> let's just say that's not, we're both wrong, right? Like, that's not yeah, what happens. Everybody's gotcha. going to come up to you and shake your hand first and say, hey, we're going to fight, right? Gotcha. 
isn't it still better to train the hard way? Wouldn't it make more sense to still periodically say, okay, well, I'm going to start in a disadvantageous position and let you attack me. So even if we're wrong, it seems like the smarter option still yet. Yes, well, the smarter person knows what they don't know, and they look to fill the void. The other people don't know what they don't know, and they're very comfortable in their own comfort zones, even though the comfort zone is nothing but a set of bars and restrictions on their life, right? right. You're a person who's looking to crush new PRs, get new numbers, uh, create better obstacles and strength training exercises for your clients. You're a person who's always pushing the limits because you want people who are doing the same. Right. There's a lot of area within martial arts that provides people an opportunity to push themselves only enough that they don't risk their own identity or make, see one thing I say about men, and this is a, across the board for men when it comes to learning this stuff, men would rather look good losing than look bad learning. <laughs> That's pretty true. <laughs> you know, they don't want to go through that power curve of going, I look like an idiot, bro. And so they come in with this fake resume. I took Krav and I wrestled in high school and blah, blah, blah. Bro, that was 20 years ago. What are you telling me that shit for? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and I get it. But men are all about, I don't want to look bad. I don't, you know. I, and so the people who are going to come to me and you. So you're saying, in your, in your example, let's just say, wouldn't it be smarter to train, right? Hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Right. Yes. And then you're not disappointed. But people don't want to prepare for the worst. They only want to prepare for what's comfortable for them. Because they don't want, I mean, I, from the very beginning, when, last time I was at a VUNAC camp, Marcel Luzado was there. Mm-hmm. I think that was the last time. Maybe it was one of the uh, I think that's the one. Counter Brothers. That might have been uh, the same one that I met you at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was over there and uh, uh, I was like, Marcel's three-time world champion. You want to go, bro? Let's go. I want to know what it's like to get my ass kicked by a three-time world champion. I'm deepening my well that way. Yes, of course. So I'm feeling like you said, how do you prepare for that guy? Train with that guy. Mm-hmm. So now do I think a three-time world champion jujitsu guy is going to break down my door and try to rape my wife? Of course not. So you, you can't, so you can't assimilate what a mark, but that doesn't mean I'm still not going to get in there. Right. You know, and I know some people who was like, look at Van Beek and his ass. Yeah, bro. That's what I came here for. I came here to get tuned up by the world's best. Mm-hmm. Not to sit on a throne of, of, of righteousness or, no. People like you, people like myself, people who are going to be in, in well into the 40s and 50s are going to constantly put themselves in a vulnerable position so that you can grow. Yeah. And there are those people who mm-hmm. won't do that. They just they're going to sit back and they're going to lift what they can lift and they're going to exercise and they're only going to do so much. And, and that's okay too, because look, you get in where you fit in. There's um, in, in front of my gym, in front of my school, there's a bunch of uh, brochures. One of them says fitness. One of them says family community. And they're all different reasons why people want to come in here. Maybe I'll meet my next wife at the kickboxing class. Some guy thinks what a great place to meet my ex wife, my next ex wife. What a great place to be held accountable. It get me in shape. You know, very few people even want to deal with the reality. And we're in, and we come from a place where, look, this is real. This does happen. So let's train with it and have some fun while we're at it. And look, and at the very end of the day, all you've done is crush some fears, mm-hmm. get in great shape, and learn how to bang. What's the worst that could happen, you right. know? Hell yeah. Uh, we're, we're almost running out of time, but I want to touch on something I've seen on your Instagram that uh, you've been uh, bumping elbows with Ed Cohen and um, Stan Efforting. My listeners would love to hear about this. First, uh, Eddie is one of my best friends. My wife is just texting me right now because Eddie's sister and me and my wife and her and her husband are like 
couples, besties. I don't know how you do that. You, know? okay. you don't have too many couple friends. They're one of my couple friends. And I met them through Ed. I met Ed years ago. I was a cage fighter. Uh, obviously, he was still doing PFS. And you want to try out every day. You tried out Wing Chun. I tried out Jiu Jitsu. And so let's go try out this cage fighting thing. And so somebody who was in the know, there's a gym out in Chicagoland called Quads. It's a famous mm-hmm. gym. It was in the south side of Chicago. Called quads. That's the home of some of the world's greatest power lifters. And Eddie Cohen, that's Eddie Cohen's home. And that's not too far from me. So uh, somebody said, Mike, you're cage fighting. I want this guy. Come meet this guy. And so the first thing I did is I walk in and there's pictures of everywhere of Eddie Cohen. I mean, this guy's a world. He's the Bruce Lee of, he's the he Bruce Lee of power lifting, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Under 250, squatting 1100. Come on. <laughs> 580-something. Guys, sick numbers are sick. So anyway, um, I, I look at him and he goes, this guy, one of the guys, one of my guys who was a sponsor for me as a cage fighter had paid Eddie Cohen to be my strength and conditioning coach. Oh, awesome. And so, yeah, I know. Right. Right. But what do I know? I don't know who Ed Cohen was. I was like, Ed Cohen, he's a short little Irishman. Well, whatever. And I said, so I hear you're like the strongest man in the world or some crap. And he goes, not really. I'm just, he was really humble. I looked at him. I said, you want to wrestle? He goes, yeah. So before we do any training, we head to the basement of this gym and we wrestle, you know, believe it or not. And I was like, I just got to watch this man pick up 45 pound plates with fingers. You know what I'm saying? With his fingers. This guy is ridiculously strong. And I, and his, if you don't know, Eddie Cohen, his hands and his, his wingspan with his arm. So I have an instructor who's six, four, him and Eddie have the same wingspan. Yeah. And Eddie's like five, two or something. Right. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, and so Eddie was my strength and conditioning coach, and then he he said, you know, Mike, I would like after my cage fighting stuff. He said, you know, I, he saw what I was doing with some of the bigger powerlifters in the gym that were training with me, and he said, you know, Mike, I'm getting old. I'm obviously not going to compete anymore, but I don't want to grow old behind a walker. Can I train with you? Well, training with you help me in this thing because I've, I've got hips replaced, knees replaced. You know, um, and my mobility, I said, not at all. So we, he started training with me. He's been training with me for four years, Eddie Cohen now, for four and a half, five years. And he's legit. If you know anybody who knows Eddie Cohen in the, in the powerlifting, they'll say, oh, that's that guy with the knife who does all the knife stuff. Because to get a guy like Eddie Cohen moving on his toes, mm-hmm. I said, I put a knife in his hand. Yeah. I said, look, nice fight. So all of a sudden, here's a guy who looked like a weeble wobble a freaking turtle if you dropped him on his back. You'd be like a turtle, couldn't get him. All of a sudden, here's this guy in his 50s, still squatting seven, 800 pounds, right? Even in his 50s, um, doing knife fighting and and, and, and doing um, weapons training, ground fighting, stand-up street fighting. And everywhere he goes, he was at, he was at Jackson, Jackson Wink. And if you're a martial artist, you know that's where John Jones and all the big, mm-hmm. you know, all the big MMA fighters train out of Albuquerque and, so he'll go to these places, man, with all these world-class doctors. He travels the world, and he's known as a power lifter who does knife fighting. So because of him and because of his, his affinity for the blade, that's his favorite part of what we do um, is fighting equipment. And so everywhere he goes, he always does that. And so from time to time, he'll bring me with to meet and so forth. And so I get to meet these guys. And and uh, I don't know if you know who um, Andre, the Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Andre... Milenovich, but I forget how you pronounce yeah, his last I'm name. I'm not even going to try. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this guy was watching me do Eddie in the middle of the in the middle of the meet says, "Mike, pull out your knife." So I pulled out my knife and I started doing all this this 
fighting stuff. And Andre, who was swinging a pole, drops the pole, comes over. He doesn't speak a lick of English, but this guy squats 1,200 pounds. He said he looks like a freaking polar bear. And, um, yeah, I gave him a knife, man. And he, he, the guy actually, it was like full metal jacket sitting there holding the knife in his hand, staring at it. And uh, before the weekend was over, Eddie and Andre are doing knife fighting. And so you see these two power lifters moving their bodies in ways that they looked like they had a hula hoop on. It was kind of very, very cool to see and very, very cool because for me, being uh, trying to be an athlete in the top and being a, a tier one citizen, you know what I mean? A tier one citizen who has every, every, I'm always working on keeping my, my combatives, my fighting, my defense, and my lifting and my condition high level right and then you go to the powerlifting world let me tell you about the man these guys can eat brother <laughs> these guys can eat we didn't stop eating i went up four days with these guys we didn't stop eating um and again um i give eddie all the credit because he's such a humble guy to say i've i have championed this now i'm going to take on this and everybody he introduced me i mean bo moore just a classic uh, uh he was one of the rocks good friends growing up uh professional football player he got to rock in the wwe and this guy's all natural just these and, and, and of course stan efferdine um i got to rob his brain for about 90 minutes talking about dieting and his new vertical diet and so i'm rubbing shoulders with people forget whether it's powerlifting, bodybuilding forget any of that i'm i want to spend time brother around people who are trying to achieve excellence on a daily basis not people who are chasing perfection Perfection is something that happens as a consequence of chasing excellence. It's like um, a great hit by an artist. They didn't plan that to be a hit. They got that because they worked their asses off in the studios over and over and over again. When you hit, you know, people use that PR. It's like, oh, they say it all the time. If I get in the gym that day, that's a PR for me. That's a lot of work getting in the gym. And, and it's a lot of work for a lot of people because most people have regular jobs. And they got families and they're trying to do their best. And I want to surround myself um, with people who are doing that very thing, brother. And that is trying to pursue excellence on a daily basis. And you know what? And if something perfect happens out of it, amen. If it doesn't, I'm cool with that too. Um, and I want to help people, man. I want to help people um, and live in service. You know, I made I made my life enough about me for most of it with drug addiction and just being a you know womanizer and doing all that stupid stuff and partying. Hey, there ain't nothing I can't take. I didn't take anything of value from that part of my life. So now I'd rather you know when someone calls you up and they say you know my husband's alive because of the stuff he learned from you, and uh, he almost got shot and and my kids are going to know the story. And, you know, those are things, brother, that I hear from time to time. Mm -hmm. They really go, I'm in the right place. And so, cool. uh, you know, for your listeners, whether you're lifting or whether you're doing martial arts or you want to delve into one thing or another, it, it, it's less about ego because you can't take some of that with you. It's about the challenge you went to get that bench, to get the squat. It wasn't the day that you got your best. It was everyday training for that best. It, it, it puts that stuff on you, whatever that looks like. You know, that yeah. thing that says, wow, I did it. If it was easy, bro, it wouldn't be worth doing, right? Right. Oh, yeah, right. for sure. And so, yeah, those strong guys, the power lifters, man, I have a huge, especially when I watch your stuff, man, I'm like, this guy don't stop. This guy just, <laughs> he's, he's, he's crushing the ceiling every time. And I think, man, he's going to, he's done. He's got nothing to come up with. And then there you go, come up with something else. And, <laughs> and so whether you're doing Brian Shaw concrete ball throwing or whether you're doing a squat or a bench press, uh, you know, it's funny because while I was hanging out that weekend, Brian Shaw is texting Eddie because he's nervous about this upcoming competition against Thor and all this. Other stuff. And listen, I don't know anything about this, about this world, right? So this is me 
sitting around just going just in awe of all these names being thrown around that I know are huge, right? Yeah. I know these people are awesome. But I tell you what, man, they didn't look at me. I mean, standing, I lift and I train and I'm a performance-orientated trainer, but I'm nowhere near a power lifter. And they, man, they took me in, bro. Family, uh, I want to give a shout out to a guy named uh, uh, JB Boss. Um, one of his shirts on there, JB Boss, powerlifting gear. That guy's amazing, man. He's just sponsored. He paid for everybody to come in, took care of everybody. Um, I love him because he used to be a criminal like me, and he turned his life around and helps people now. Cool. So I like to give some. And, of course, my, my brother, Eddie Cohen, man, just that guy. I don't care where you're at. If you're in a restaurant he sees you, you ask him a question, he's going to answer it for you. And if it takes an hour, he'll sit there. And asked, we, were, we were at breakfast one day, and this powerlifting team from Iowa was in. He went, took his whole breakfast answering their questions. That's awesome, man. Most people have to get the celebrities and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Stan, same thing. I asked Stan after a question. He spent 90 minutes talking about dying and answering my questions. He didn't, he didn't want to wrestle with me. Though. I'm just going to say that right now. He didn't want to wrestle. <laughs> I offered he didn't want to wrestle. <laughs> He's a big dude, though. Big dude. But, yeah. So, yeah, the fact that I get the opportunity to rub elbows and, and shoulders with some of the world's best is such an honor and a privilege. I couldn't be more thankful, man. And they give me just a, a shit ton of advice. Um, and my squat still sucks. <laughs> I'm still going to keep working at it. <laughs> so I'm a little jealous. Well, that's super cool. Um, so if uh, you, you do seminars um, and you have several schools throughout the U.S., um, if people are interested in uh, going to one of your schools or, or, or dropping in or, or maybe contacting you to do a seminar or something like that, how, how do we get a hold of you? Yeah, well, that's a good question. We have a, we obviously we have the same social media platform um, avenues as anybody else. Focus counter violence. Um, dot com. That's our website. You can get a hold of any instructor through that website. Um, Facebook, uh, focus counter violence. And then if you looked at Topeka counter violence, Atlanta, uh, we have one in Vegas. We have one in Nashville, you know, so uh, Champaign, Illinois, we have one. Um, I have a seminar coming up. You can so you can see all of those on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram at Focus Counter Violence. And um, just if you stay on the social network feed, um, I will be putting up. I have a seminar coming up in Springfield, Illinois. If you're interested in having me out for a seminar um, that actually it's funny because the Springfield seminar I'm doing is for a bunch of powerlifters. Okay. And they're the same way. They're like, look, I know I'm strong, but I could be strong in entirely the wrong way. So would you mind coming us and tuning that strength into a frequency that will help me fight? Absolutely, I will. And so we're setting that up. And so I see that a lot more and more thanks to Eddie is people going, yeah, yeah, I'm strong, but I think there's more to it than just mm-hmm. being strong, yeah. being able to move, being able to have power, placement, and position on moving. So, yeah, so you can go to Facebook, you can go to Instagram, Focus Counter Violence, um, and, and connect with me there, and you'll see all kinds of updates on classes, times, locations, dates, seminars, and so forth. And if you're interested in having a seminar or hosting one, just give me a call, and we can make that happen too. Very cool. Well, I think um, – I think a lot of my listeners will be definitely interested in that. So maybe we'll get some people going your way. Um, well, thank you very much for uh, taking your time uh, out of your day and, and, and uh, letting me, you know, pick your brain a little bit here. Man, I appreciate you seeing you again, man. It's been actually, let's talking to you. I can't, uh, it's been a long time, man. I, let's, let's, let's stay in touch, brother. Yeah, for sure. Let's stay man. in it's touch, been, man. Been, I think eight years. So. <laughs> <laughs> let's not wait so long next time, huh? Yeah. Hey man, keep up all the good stuff you're doing, brother man. Yeah, you too, man. I, I'm a, a big fan. I've been watching you for a while now, and uh, you're doing doing great stuff. Thank you, brother.
always, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, this has been John the Viking Mauser and Michael Van Beek. Get strong or die. Yeah.